Um, okay, this is the uh, intro for the podcast. Yo. 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 Yo, with the silver screen fiends, yo. Yo, yo, with the silver screen fiends, yo. Hey, watching movies, watching movies, yeah. Work faster, doctor. The acid is descending. My wife existed only six minutes on the operating table, and then she was dead. You murdered her. No. Murdered her. But he will have what she did not, a second chance. Good evening, all you lovely people out there. And yes, you're my people. I would like to welcome you back to the Silver Screen Fiends podcast, where sadly, it is just myself, Samuel, on this episode. Um, We're going to be kind of introducing a new mini segment to the show whenever we can't record a full episode. So whether it's Joe or I, we'll just kind of banter about only one topic, which is could be a movie, an actor, a director. I don't know, our favorite fucking Hot Pocket from when we were like three. So this time I decided, since we are still in the month of spoops, that I would cover my favorite obscure horror movie. And that is The Abominable Dr. Fibes. Now, I'm sure most of you out there have no fucking idea what this movie is. And I'm here to tell you what the fuck it is. So The Abominable Dr. Fibes stars Vincent Price, one of my favorite actors ever. And he has a massive background in theater and he has a this commanding movie presence of always playing this anti-hero who's so charming and witty. And every one of his roles usually involves the macabre or some form of psychological horror. Uh, everything from his first actual film role, which was Dragonwick, all the way in the early 40s, down to like The Last Man on Earth, which is probably my favorite role by him. To his slot of 60s cheesy comedy horrors, which he also starred alongside Boris Karloff, Peter Lorre, that whole group. But one film I love him for, absolutely adore him in, is The Abominable Dr. Fibes. So this movie was directed by Robert Faust, and it came out, I believe, in 1971. And this... Basically, this movie takes place in the early 20s, somewhere in England. And Vincent Price plays Dr. Anton Fibes, who uh, is not only an expert in medicine, but theology and music as well. Uh, He actually is super well-versed in playing the organ. He's like this world-renowned organist. Well, maybe in his world, but he's really fucking talented. And he lives in this Art Deco-type mansion, which the only way to describe it is just kind of like this, a little bit of a gaudy, retro, abstract kind of feel. Whatever you're imagining, it's probably not too far from the truth. So he lives in this big-ass mansion, uh, not by himself. He's accompanied by his lovely assistant, who never speaks the entire movie, Volnavia, or Volnavia. She's played by Virginia North. I mean, he used to have a wife, however, you know, well, I'll I'll just get to that. 
So the movie opens with him playing the organ pretty masterfully. He's got like this horror-esque vibe to it. And alongside him, his mechanical band called Dr. Five's Clockwork Wizard starts playing, which to me is the best part of the movie because it's just that little bit of cheese and camp that I love. Um, and Fibes' wife, Victoria, died four years prior on an operating table. And fun fact, his wife's name, Victoria Regina Fibes, in the movie... Um, Victoria Regina was the name of a play in 1935, which starred Vincent Price. So I thought that was a pretty nice tribute to it. So anyway, after his wife's death four years ago, you know, he's in Switzerland and he's trying to race back and he's so angry about what happened and the car skids off the cliff and he ends up burning to death or so they thought they pronounced him dead at the scene and then they buried him next to his wife, but he somehow managed to survive. So the only thing he has on his mind at this point is vengeance. And he became horribly scarred. It's like if you picture Phantom of the Opera or House of Wax, you know, you could see like kind of the disfigurement in the face. But he created this prosthetic set, you know, for his face and his limbs to appear normal. Uh, But later in the movie, you actually see his true form. Uh, And another horrible thing that happened is he lost his power of speech. So throughout the movie... He can only speak through a wire, and it's connected into a Victrola. So then it emits that sound. And since, because of this, he's not really moving his lips. He has these facial expressions throughout the movie. But his lines were dubbed, which, to me, it kind of... I think it made the actors jealous. I think I remember reading that somewhere. But, like, wouldn't you? Because you don't really have to remember your lines. Although, that's not to take away from the incredible talent of his actual acting prowess. But, so throughout the movie, it's just him trying to wreak his havoc on these people that, quote-unquote, killed his wife. So, you know, all the members of the surgical team begin to die one by one. Like, the first was stung to death by bees, and the second was killed by bats. It's, like, not super gory, for, but I feel like for the 70s, it was kind of like, eh, I don't know. Uh, the third, though, which is one of my favorite deaths in the movie, is this guy, they're at this masquerade party, and Dr. Fibes tracks one of the doctors down, and, you know, he has this, like, frog mask, and he he puts it on the dude, and it kind of has, like, this inner mechanism that crushes him slowly, and the guy's, like, screaming bloody murder, and it just eventually kills him, and... You know, kind of, I was going to wait till later to discuss it, but this movie had a lot of influence on movies to come, uh, like the Saw series, in the way that Jigsaw would create these elaborate traps, and he would make it more about them trying to see, you know, them thinking about what kind of person they actually are for these actions to have taken place. And a lot of the times, this shit is accidental, but, you know, in the eyes of a griever, that's not always the case. He performs each of these murders with glee, and every time he does it, he hangs this amulet over statues of the people, and he melts them after each one dies. So the police end up on his ass, and it's led by Inspector Trout, who's played by Peter Jeffrey, and, you know, they're kind of inspecting about, and they realize that all the victims have a mutual connection, and that's they worked with a Dr. Vesalius, uh, who was the head surgeon when at the time of his wife's death, uh, and he's played by Joseph Cotton, who's famous for Citizen Kane and the Magnificent Ambersons. 
So on the fourth death, the victim is drained of all their blood. And it's during this time that Fives accidentally drops one of his amulets on the ground. And the police end up finding it, and they see that there's this little small symbol. And they decode it, and they find out that it's actually the Hebrew symbol that means blood. Don't ask me to explain what it looks like, because I can't. Um, So they realize it's part of the ten biblical curses or plagues visited upon the Pharaoh. So there is a theme here. So the plagues, you know, they cover boils, bats, frogs, blood, rats, hell, beasts, locusts, death of the firstborn, and darkness. And they see that the way Fives is killing all these guys, it it matches up. You know, once the police kind of end up where their burial is, they realize that both the coffins are empty, and they're like, oh, fuck, what's going on here? So Fives just kind of continues on his merry way, killing everybody creatively in theme with these curses. So at this point, only the ninth victim is left, which is Dr. Vesalius, the chief surgeon. So he decides, since that this should be the death of the firstborn, that he's going to be doing something pretty devious, and he kidnaps his son and places him in this death trap. And he sedates him and locks him in shackles, and the only key to get out of this is actually surgically implanted inside the son's chest cavity. Think of how much of a sick fuck you have to be to do that. I mean, like, do you get any more devious than that? So now Vesalius is faced with removing this fucking key from his own son's chest within six minutes, which is actually the same amount of time that Fives' wife was on the operating table. So to me, just the cleverness of that is amazing. I'm not... (laughs) Can't justify the man's actions, but like, holy hell, did he put together a trap. And if he was unsuccessful with taking the key out in time, this giant vat of acid would fall on his son's face and it would disfigure him the same way that Fives is disfigured. And it's at this point in the movie that he finally unmasks himself. And you see his hideous being and all these scars. And it's kind of an iconic scene. In obscure horror. Because like I said earlier, like with the Phantom of the Opera and House of Wax, like once they finally were revealed to be their true self, their true selves, the tone of the movie changed like very dramatically. So Fibes decides that he's going to save the final curse for himself. So he retreats back to his lair and he lies next to his wife in the coffin. He drains all the blood from his body and he replaces it with embalming fluid. And the sarcophagus that him and his wife are in lower into the flooring. And it's at this exact moment that the police are coming into the house as well. And they find it completely empty. And it actually sets this up for a sequel, which I believe was released a year later. It's called Dr. Fives Rises Again. And it's basically the same pacing, theming. You know, he gets his revenge on even more people and he tries to like unlock the key of life and this fountain of youth. And it's, it, as far as sequels go, it's exactly like you get what you see, you know, it's, you take it at face value. It's, it's like almost the same plot. He's got kind of the same methodology going for him. He's like creatively chaotic and it's, it's pretty good. Um, you know, I love this movie. It's like a real, It's like a real amalgamation of Art Deco and Camp and the Macabre, which is like everything I love. And it's almost like 
this dreamlike quality you're in when you watch it. You know, and I, and I, I feel this way about a lot of movies from, like, the 60s and 70s. You know, you, you kind of... It's like this this aura, this ambiance in the air of just, like, hmm. Like, this is mysterious. It might be cheesy. But, like, it's making you feel something you didn't think you could feel. I don't know. It's it, It's kind of hard to explain. You know, and another reason I like this movie a lot is because the death scenes you know, are somewhat gory, but they include elements of, like, what our other horror films have done or what horror films have built off of. So, like, you know, in the Saw series, you know, Jigsaw is out for revenge and he just wants people to learn from their mistakes. And you see that it's really a tortured soul. Like, and that's why I also love Vincent Price because he plays the anti-hero perfectly. You want to feel sympathetic for him. However, what he's doing to these people is, like, unspeakable. Like, he's fucking throwing them in these giant metallic frog heads and crushing their skulls in. Like, that's insane. But also, you understand, like, he's been living with this pain of not only losing the love of his wife, but basically most of his life. You know, he's this horribly disfigured guy. He has nobody around, except Volnavia, who doesn't even talk. And who knows if she's even there on her own will. And he's just kind of alone in the world. So, like, it's relatable. And I I think it does a good job of making the person watching question, you know, their own morality and ethics. And I like that. Like, it's really psychological. And uh, the set designs are pretty impressive, too. I mean, like I said, it's got an Art Deco vibe. So it's, it's just like, it's just like, it's dull and vibrant at the same time. Lots of these abstract shapes going on and you know, all the mechanicals to it. It's just like, it kind of all comes together and it creates like this creepy, cheesy vibe. And so, yeah, The Abominable Dr. Fibes, do I recommend it? Dude, I think so. I mean, it's great. It's fucking really obscure. Uh, It's from the 70s, if you like the 70s. It's horror, if you like horror. It's campy, if you like camp. It's kind of filled a little bit with culture and history, because if you think about it, he's emulating plagues. He's also, you know, somewhat of this. He's also somewhat of an intellect. He studies medicine and theology and music. And so, like, there's actually things to really respect about this. And that's, like, who Vincent Price was as a person as well. He was a great art enthusiast. He was, like, this master chef. He just loved exploring life and everything in it. You know, he just loved learning. He loved doing. He loved experiencing. And that's, like... That's super motivational, and, and that's, like, one of the many reasons he's my favorite actor of all time. But, yeah, so, The Abominable Dr. Fives, that's all I really wanted to talk about. And uh, tune in next week, where I will be with Joe once again, and we may have a surprise guest. We may not. Can you please get off my ass? And, yeah, so, thanks. I, I really appreciate you, and I also appreciate myself, because I'm, I'm trying to... You know, I'm trying to be mindful, guys. It, it, it's fucking tough. I'm just, I'm just saying, there's there's a line here, and I feel like I'm not crossing. I feel like I am crossing. No, I'm sorry. Okay, goodbye.